0: Well, tonight, I want to take a few minutes just to talk to you about the true meaning of Christmas. What is it all about? I think we've all gotten used to, uh, in the days leading up to Christmas, um, TV stations air all the classic Christmas specials, and uh, though we've lost count of how many times we've watched uh, certain uh, shows that uh, we've loved over the years. Every year we're captured by their spell and we find ourselves watching them yet again. And we ask ourselves, why am I watching this? I've watched this a hundred times already. But we enjoy it every time. I have a lot of fond memories as a kid watching shows like Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman, and The Grinch. Um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Little Drummer Boy, and The Year Without a Santa Claus. What a depressing little show that was with the Heat Miser, remember that one? Anyway, one of the most famous animated Christmas specials of all, of course, is a Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Who doesn't love that? And uh, if you remember, if you've watched it, you'll remember that at the beginning of the show, Charlie Brown is depressed, which isn't much news for Charlie Brown, he was pretty much depressed most of the time. But this was unique in that it was the onset of the joyful holiday season. But he was depressed because it seemed to him that everyone misunderstood the true meaning of Christmas. And so his nemesis, Lucy, suggests he directs an upcoming Christmas play, and his best efforts, however, are ignored and mocked by his peers, especially that sorry little tree that he had bought for the occasion, Right? Well, during the rehearsal, Charlie Brown looks over at his friend Linus and says, I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. And then, in desperation, he cries out, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus calmly answers him, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he walks over to the center of the stage with his blanket and asks for a spotlight and begins reciting his lines, which are straight from the Bible. You remember them well. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. A few weeks ago I was riding in the car and I was listening to a radio station that wasn't a Christian station and they were playing Christmas songs and they played a song that began with Linus's speech from the TV special. And I was driving and I was just struck by how profound, how powerful it was to hear God's word quoted on the radio. And how it just stuck out so distinctly from all the music and chatter that we've gotten so used to hearing. In fact, it got me interested in the story of how A Charlie Brown Christmas came to be. And as I was reading, I discovered that the producers, even back in 1965, we're all dating ourselves, those of us who even know what this show is all about, right? 1965, the the, the producers were concerned that including religion... Into the story would be controversial and possibly kill the story. It would be a bomb. But Charles Schultz, who was the creator of Charlie Brown, was adamant about Linus reading from the Bible, and he told the producers, if we don't do it, who will? Good for Charles Schultz, huh? In fact, he incorporated Linus's recitation of Scripture in such a way that it forms the climax of the whole storyline thus making it impossible to successfully edit it out. And so he sealed the deal in just how he wrote the story. Well, the text that Linus read and that I just read is essentially God's birth announcement of his son. Now, we know that birth announcements these days are a big deal and have become a big deal. Business. There's so many creative and memorable ways to announce the entrance of your child into the world. There's, of course, Pinterest. I only know that because of my wife, right? It's not like I know about Pinterest as a guy, right? I have to give my man card if I knew about Pinterest. But Pinterest, right? Facebook, Shutterfly, tinyprints.com, you name it. It almost seems like a competition to see who can outdo one another. Well, if you want to outdo everyone when you announce the birth of your next child, anybody planning on having another kid, well, this is what you need to do. You need to forget about sending out cards or taking a bunch of photos or putting a stork in your front yard or guys handing out cigars, which, you know, that was kind of a historical thing to do at one time. You know what you need to do? Hire an angel to visit all your family and friends to tell them about your baby, and if as if that wouldn't be enough, rent an entire choir of angels to serve as the backup singers. I guarantee you'll win. See, when it comes to announcing the arrival of his son, God spared no expense. He pulled out all the stops. And the messenger angels were not the only unique thing about the birth announcement of God's son. Think about it. A typical birth announcement reads something like this It's a boy. His name is Joe. He's seven pounds, two ounces, 21 inches long, right? Typical baby announcement. We've all sent those. We've all received those. Well, God's announcement read like this. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a strange birth announcement. When our three kids were born, we never told people that they were some long-awaited chosen one that had been born to deliver them or rescue them from something. I think it's also important to note that whenever people receive a birth announcement in due time, and that's a relative term, in due time, right? They typically either call or go to see the new baby. They bring a gift and congratulate the mother and the father. Well, when those who first received the birth announcement about God's son, they immediately dropped everything that they were doing. And they went quickly and directly to see him, not to congratulate the mom and dad, but to worship the baby. One of my joys as a pastor is I have the privilege of going to the hospital when someone has a a newborn. And so I've had the privilege of visiting lots of parents and their newborns in the hospital. And I've prayed over many a little one, but I'll tell you this, I've never worshiped any of them. Obviously, The birth of God's son is unique and set apart from any other birth that we've experienced or ever will experience. This baby boy that was born 2,000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem was clearly something special. And we know that just by reflecting on the details of his birth announcement. And so let me just highlight maybe three details tonight, three details about his his birth announcement Number one, how it was announced. Number two, what was announced. And number three, who it was announced to. Let's look first of all at how it was announced. If you have your Bibles and you're following along with me, look at verse 9. It says, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. What a vivid picture that Luke painted for us. Everything was dark. It was quiet. The shepherds may have been dozing off to sleep or at least taking turns, one staying up watching the flock while the others rested, but all of a sudden a bright light shone out of heaven and this brilliant angel stood in front of them and the glory of the Lord flashed all around them. I mean, this was like a close encounters of the third kind. If you ever watch that, you have to be old to know that movie too, right? But it says they were terribly frightened. Literally, they were feared, or they feared with great fear. In other words, they were freaked out. I mean, they were scared to death. But the angel was quick to calm their fears. Notice verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And if that wasn't enough to make a statement about his son's birth, God pulled back the curtain of heaven. So that they could see, these shepherds could see hundreds, maybe even thousands of angels praising and glorifying God. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So the angels in heaven were so inspired, so moved by the incarnation, by God taking on flesh and being born into this world as a human baby. They they couldn't contain themselves. They they had to praise and adore and and wonder at the unfolding of God's great plan of salvation. One of the most interesting verses, I think, in the entire Bible is 1 Peter 1.12, where Peter says this about angels, he says things into which angels long to look. You say, what are these things? Well, he was talking about God's prophetic plan to save men from their sin through the Messiah. That's the context of that statement. And so these things, these, this prophetic plan that God had to save men from their sin through the Messiah... Angels long to look into those things. They're curious about God's great plan of salvation. And it's as if they're standing up in heaven on their tippy toes, looking down, checking all this out, and they're just amazed. And I would suggest to you that right now the angels are doing that. They're standing on their tippy toes and peering down from heaven as we celebrate the birth of God's son. And what are they looking for? They're wanting to see if if anyone would come to know Jesus Christ tonight, who would understand maybe for the first time God's plan of salvation through this baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. That's how it was announced. Now, let's look what was announced, specifically what was announced. Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That phrase, <clears throat> I bring you good news of great joy, is important for us to understand. He's talking about the gospel. That's another way of talking about the good news, the gospel. The gospel. The good news. You say, what good news? Well, the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die so that sinners like us could be reconciled to him. See, we need to understand that all of us are separated from God because of our sin. Our sin has created this huge chasm or gulf between us and God. And Jesus Christ came to bridge that gulf or to bridge that gap by paying the penalty for our sin through his death and our place on the cross. And if we're willing to turn from our sins and trust in what Christ did for us as our substitute, our sins can be forgiven. And we can experience the joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven and the joy of living free from guilt and shame, which is the result of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that Most people, and you might agree with this, in in our world don't live with great joy. In fact, they're generally depressed, a lot like Charlie Brown. And they may be smiling on the outside, but they're hurting and crying on the inside because they have no hope, they have no purpose, they have no real reason for living. That may describe you tonight. You, You know there's something more to life than just living and dying. There's got to be. And see, when a person comes to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, their life is filled with great joy. Because they not only have forgiveness for their sin, but they have a reason for living. They finally understand the purpose of life, and they know where they're going when they die. There's great joy in that. Notice he says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David... There has been born for you a savior, a rescuer, someone who would deliver us from sin, death, and hell. Notice what else it says. There has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. In the Greek language, that's Christos kurios. This is the only time this title is used anywhere for Christ in the New Testament. The word Christ is the word for Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. It was the title reserved for the person that was prophesied about in the Old Testament who would be chosen and anointed by God to be the prophet, priest, and king of Israel. And the nation of Israel had been waiting for this moment for centuries. Every time a baby boy was born in Israel, there was always this hope that this might be the one. He might be the promised Messiah. Notice what else was said in this announcement down in verse 14, when the heavens were opened and this host of angels praising God said this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. In other words, God is worthy to be honored. God is worthy to be glorified. God is worthy to be worshiped for this. What? Well, he's to be glorified for bringing peace among men on earth. Now, this phrase is often used to describe how Jesus came to provide world peace. This is not talking about peace between men, but peace between men. God and men. This is reconciliation. This is, this is enemies. We who were enemies, the Bible calls us enemies of God because of our sinful rebellion. We're made friends. In other words, the, the war with God, the war between God and man is over. God is to be worshiped, He's to be glorified. Well, why is this war over? Well, notice it says among men with whom he is pleased. Literally, men of his good pleasure. See, there's some people that view God as this angry deity up there who's just mad at everybody. He's upset with everybody. But according to this announcement, mankind is the object of God's goodness, the object of his pleasure. Not that we're pleasing to God, But despite our sin, it pleased him to be merciful and gracious to us by sending his only son to remove that which separates us from him. That's our sin. And so, needless to say, the angel's announcement here was astounding. It was unbelievable. And the shepherds were probably thinking to themselves could this really be the long awaited Messiah? How can we know for sure? Well, that brings us to the third detail of the announcement, who it was announced to. Notice verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. In that same region was in the region of Bethlehem, if you go back. Uh, And look at verses 1 through 7, it simply describes how uh, Joseph and Mary had come from Nazareth to, um, uh, to be numbered in the census. And so they returned. Joseph went, went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the town, or excuse me, of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, he was with chi- who was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in claws and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And then Luke says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, So these hills, just outside the city limits of Bethlehem, um, it may have been as close as just a few hundred yards. Anybody been to Israel and uh, been to Bethlehem? And you know there's a place called the Shepherd's Field, which is right by the Church of the Nativity, just kind of down the slope there. And, And this is where they believe that this occurred. And so he says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Here was a group of men whose job was tending sheep. Now, it's important for us to understand something about these shepherds. Shepherds in those days were the outcasts of Jewish society, they were considered unclean. You can imagine why, right? They're out there most of their day. Working and getting dirty, but it was difficult for them to observe all the ceremonial laws of cleansing. So they were considered considered not just dirty guys, but ceremonially unclean. They were considered suspect. Their honesty and integrity was constantly called into question. In fact, a shepherd could not testify in a court of law because they weren't considered a trustworthy witness. They were considered ignorant. Because they hadn't been tutored in the law, they were considered, considered wandering vagabonds like gypsies who had no roots in the community. If you've been to Israel, you know that there's even some today who are modern-day Bedouins who just kind of set up shop with their tent wherever they can find a place, kind of like squatters do. These were the shepherds. And the only people who were lower on the social scale than shepherds were lepers, And yet God chose to send the announcement of the birth of his son to this despised class of men with a bad reputation. And even though the rest of the world shunned them, God favored them by giving them the privilege of being the first ones to receive the good news of Christ's birth. The question is why? Why shepherds? Why these shepherds? Well, let me suggest a possible reason. According to Jewish tradition, these were no ordinary everyday shepherds. They were considered Levitical shepherds who had the important task of watching over a very special flock of sheep. And because of its proximity to Jerusalem, it was in this region where the sheep were raised to sacrifice in the temple just a few miles away. And so it's likely that these shepherds were tending lambs that would one day be slaughtered on the altar during Passover to atone for the sins of the Jewish people. And as you probably know, the one requirement a lamb had to meet in order to serve as a substitutionary sacrifice is it had to be without what? Without blemish. And when a lamb was born, it was examined for any defects or blemishes, and if it was deemed spotless, it was immediately wrapped up or swaddled up to protect it from getting any cuts or bruises, and it was kind of set aside. There's an interesting YouTube video that you could watch if you're interested, and it was made by a messianic rabbi. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron, a messianic rabbi. What does that mean? Well, it means a a Jewish rabbi who believes that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so this Messianic rabbi, this born-again Jew, his name is Jason Sobel, he offers a a fascinating take on the significance of Jesus being wrapped up in swaddling, swaddling cloths after his birth. Now, I think it's possible that Mary simply wrapped up Jesus just like any mother would swaddle her newborn. I remember when our kids were born, um, the nurses would come in and they would wrap those little dudes, right? And, and, and it'd wrap them up really tight in this little blanket. It looked like a little burrito, right? Really cute. And that was what? To help them you know, stay warm and, 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 and kind of make them feel like they're still in the womb and they could sleep really well. And they keep them from scratching their eyeballs out and other things like that, right? I mean, just kind of swaddle them up and wrap them up really tight. So this could have just been You know, a mother doing her job as a mother. Some Bible scholars suggest that the swaddling cloths were prophetic of the cloths that Jesus was going to be wrapped in when he was placed in the tomb after his death. And so these were foreshadowing his death and burial and resurrection. What Jason Sobel suggests is the fact that the angel told the shepherds, that the way they would recognize the Christ child is that he would be lying in a feeding trough wrapped up in claws. That's what he said in verse 12. Notice, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. In other words, the shepherds would immediately make the connection. These shepherds would anyway that he was a baby born in the same place that Passover lambs were born, who was swaddled just like an unblemished lamb was swaddled, swaddled, indicating that he was the spotless lamb of God who would one day die as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. That's what that song, Wrap This One Up, was all about. That's what Christmas is all about. I mentioned this earlier, but Christmas is not just about some stray straw in a, in, a, in a manger. It's about three nails and a cross. And if Sobel is right, how appropriate it is then that the first ones to hear the news and to spread the news about the birth of the ultimate Lamb of God were these shepherds. Now, if you notice, the angel never told them to go see Jesus. But the natural response of these guys was to immediately just to verify that what the angel told them was true. And so they left their sheep in the fields and they set out to find this special swaddled up boy. Notice verse 15, when the angels had gone from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And then look at verse 17. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They just repeated what the angel said in verse 11. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, how fitting. It was for these dirty, smelly shepherds to walk into a dirty, smelly stable and to announce that this baby in a dirty, smelly feeding trough was the Messiah, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. How ironic. Notice the different responses to the shepherds' message verse 18 and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds apparently a crowd was gathering by now and 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 they were filled with wonder and awe at what the shepherds announced and then of course Mary's response we know this well but Mary verse 19 treasured all these things pondering them in her heart literally Mary treasured these things in her heart she was It was like she was gathering and guarding like valuable treasure all the things that had already been said about her little boy and what would be said in the future about him. And as Mary cradled Jesus in her arms, her mind was probably racing with thoughts of Gabriel's visit and Elizabeth's prayer and the birth of John the Baptist and now the shepherd's report. And as she gazed into the face of God, Can you imagine, moms, staring into the face of God? She pondered all these amazing, unbelievable things in her heart. And then the story ends, again, focused on the shepherds. Verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The shepherds returned to their Day job, I guess it was a night job, right? Praising and glorifying God. In other words, they worship God that Jesus had been born to save them from their sin. The angel was talking to them. There has been born for you, and you and you a savior who is Christ the Lord. They took it personally. And I think the shepherds' response that night to the announcement of of the birth of Christ stands for all time as the model of how every one of us should respond to Jesus Christ. What is your response to the birth of Jesus? As we've walked through this passage tonight, each of us has received a personal announcement about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's as if if it were handed to you personally by a proud, loving father, God himself, giving you this announcement tonight from his word. And it reads simply, my son was born to be your savior and Lord. That's the announcement tonight. The question is, how will you respond? You could be like, okay, great, who cares? And you just throw the announcement in a pile with the rest of the Christmas cards that you've gotten that you've just kind of quickly scanned and kind of put on a, in a pile on a counter. So you could say, who cares? Or maybe a little bit better, but not much better. Oh, how sweet. How, how, oh, how sweet. What a sweet story. And you just kind of put it in the category in your mind of one of the many quaint traditions that we celebrate at Christmas time. And, you know, there's Santa Claus, and there's Rudolph, and then there's Jesus. Listen, God didn't send his son so that we could be sentimental. God sent his son so we would be saved from our sin. The best response the only right response to the birth of Christ is what must I do to be saved? If this is true, there's been born for me a Savior who's Christ the Lord. What must I do to be saved? Well, it's a simple decision. You can either hold on, you can either hold on to your sin And refuse Christ's rule over your life, or you can give up your sin and submit to Christ's rule over your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. I tell people being a Christian is as easy as ABC. A is you admit the fact that you're a sinner who deserves to die and go to hell. B is you believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that none of us could ever live and die the death that we all deserve to die. And that he's the only way that we can be made right with God. We'll never be good enough to make ourselves right with God. God makes us right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then C is commit your life to follow and obey Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, your master. The angel couldn't have made it any clearer. He is Christ, the Lord. Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. So the question remains, is he your Savior and Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity just to be reminded of why we celebrate Christmas and what Christmas is all about. And Lord, I pray, Lord, first of all, for those who may have joined us tonight who have really never thought that deeply about The true meaning of Christmas, and as they've heard what your word says about Christmas and the birth of your son, Lord, I pray that you would open up their eyes to see and their minds to understand and their hearts to receive this wonderful gift, the greatest Christmas gift of all, and that is the gift of salvation through Christ. Lord, that tonight they would be willing to give up their sin and to submit their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us that have already made that decision, we've made that commitment, I pray that we would respond like these shepherds with great worship and praise. Even the angels, Lord, everybody who was a part of this announcement was just worshiping and glorifying and honoring you and singing your praise. So, Lord, I pray that tonight and even tomorrow as we spend time together with our families, eating together and opening up presents together and just playing games together, Lord, that we would keep our focus fixed on Christ, the true meaning of Christmas. We pray this in his name. Amen.